Here's what's coming up on this week's show. What is your favourite biscuit? Well, I do like a Dorset knob. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Did you, did you understand the question? The Beat. Welcome to the Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there. If you're listening to us for the first time, Hi, don't forget to uh, hit the subscribe button so you get all the future episodes in your inbox and send us some feedback as well. We'd love to know what you think about the show and what you'd like on future episodes. So can we just for a second, Claire, just have a little bit of peace and quiet. Just listen for a second. It's really quiet in your house. That means the kids have gone back to school. Uh, I know. It's a new me. I've, I've, I've just found peace. I found peace. So uh, it, it's interesting. I'm a bit lonely, actually. If you're not, uh, if you're not listening uh, in the UK, then in the UK, we've got green light for the kids to go back to school. Now it's not an issue for me because my child is an adult, so she's at university. But your two uh, are definitely of school age, and um, it's um, it's it's nice and quiet in your house, perhaps right now. It is, but it's a bit strange. A year's a long time to all be together, and um, it's a bit odd. But they're they're back. I feel where they belong, and they're back with their friends. And uh, long may it continue. Having said that, they're breaking up for the next Easter break in a couple of weeks. I've only got a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's very true, actually. Yeah, you've only got a couple of weeks to think about it and enjoy it, and then suddenly they're they're home again for another two weeks. That's good. It's a good a good time for adjustment for everybody concerned. So yeah. every week on the show, we like to introduce and bring in an expert that can help us deal with a particular topic that will help. Help you as a small business to grow and thrive and survive uh, and do all the things that you love doing within your business. Uh, what's the subject this week, Claire? How to sell your business. Perhaps this should be our last episode then. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, I didn't want to drop oh, that bomb there. Just, so just sorry. before the 12 months was up, you didn't tell me that. Thank you. <laughs> no, we're not, no, this isn't our last episode. But an interesting, I say, I don't know anything about selling a business. No, it's, it's crossed my mind a couple of times for, you know, my planning, I do, you know, my 10-year plan. It has crossed my mind, but I wouldn't know where to begin or what I would need to do in order to, to do that, you know, a few years down the line. So I'm really looking forward to this. So who have we got on this week who's going to tell us all about selling businesses? Chris Avril. And Chris Avril is the author of the book Build, Sell and Retire. So Chris is an experienced entrepreneur um, who has also sold his own business and he's going to be talking to us about the advice um, and guidance that we need to know in order to potentially sell our businesses in the future. This is the Big Little Business Show. How do you know if your business is actually ready to be sold? Okay, well, I'm not sure any business is ever ready to be sold. Um, there are clearly steps you can put in place to get yourself in a position to, to make the most from the sale. But, but most businesses are really stories about continuing to grow, improve, get better, often go through times of adversity and then come out the other side uh, bigger and stronger. So knowing when your business is ready to sell probably isn't the right question. Knowing when you're ready to sell is probably more of a, an appropriate question. Can you sell any business? I mean, is any business sellable or do you need to create a business with in mind that you might want to sell it at some point in the future? So good question. Right. I think there are two approaches. For, for virgin sellers, uh, if it's the first time you've thought about selling a business, then you probably want to build a successful company, something that, that you really care about, that is a, that has a future, something you're growing to, to, to a bigger, more established business. 
people who have sold before uh, would be more likely, I think, to set up a business that they could sell. Now, the reason there are two differences is if you try and create a company from scratch to sell, it will probably fail because you don't care about the thing that's the business. You care about the outcome, the money. So that's why it's always a good idea if you if you want to start a business or you're thinking about selling is just do what you love. Continue to grow and pursue the thing that really gets you excited and out of bed in the morning and it will be worth something. Yeah, that's a that's a really good answer. I like that. Yeah, so I was going I was thinking actually whether when you do start a business um you've answered the question really that you know maybe not have the view to sell it initially like not start a business with the view to sell it. Um, do you know of anyone who's actually done that or have you had any experience with people who have actually intentionally started a business with the with a view to sell it on? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've met lots of people uh, through my, my time running my own company. Uh, and as I was writing my book, I was interviewing lots of founders uh, who are selling or who'd sold. And I have met plenty of companies or plenty of founders who run companies that have been set up purely with a view of selling. And, it, and it's often because they've been through uh, a sales process, uh, you know, as an employee of a company, or they've sold a previous business and it might not have gone as well as they'd hoped. Um, but they've learned their lessons and they can see the opportunity. You know, there's a hole in the market. Let's say, um, you know, what, what what's on the high street at the moment? Lots of coffee shops. Um, maybe we need more donut shops. So let's set up a donut franchising business and purely with a view to get enough franchisees that it, it's sellable that someone wants to buy that franchise off me, the whole thing. And, and that's, you know, I've been through growing and selling a business, so I can see the opportunity of picking a niche, creating a brilliant business, but with the explicit plan of selling it before I get too much older. We always need more donut shops. We do, honestly, there was something in the paper this morning about some guys being kicked off an estate, like a country estate, for selling two sugary donuts. Um, what? I mean, what? What is a donut if it's not sugary? That is what a donut is. is Otherwise, it? it's a kebab. Um, I don't know. You know. <laughs> kebab, yeah. <laughs> so what happened with you then? Because I know, obviously, your book is it's called Build, Sell, Retire. Um, so was there, I mean, I guess you must have started your business because it was something you wanted to do. So did there come to come a point with your business that you thought, oh, perhaps I could sell this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I set the company up because I was frustrated with the company I was working for. Uh, I, I spent a short amount of time in a digital agency uh, and just thought I can do this better. I've, I've been working for many years to that point, by the way. So I left and set up in the downturn of 2003 uh, thinking, how hard can it be? And it turned out it was very, very, very hard. I struggled to get a single client for six months. So I almost failed before I started. But I got a client and I, and I kind of pursued the business dream and over time turned it from a uh, I guess, a lifestyle business where I was doing some work, hiring some freelancers, taking time off for holiday into employing people, bringing in international contracts and, and taking office space. And, and as the company grew, I realized I had something of value, i.e. it was paying me well, but it was growing and there's demand in the, in the market for people buying businesses like mine. So I did at the back of my head always think one day I'll probably sell. But if I was asked by anyone, my team, my family, my friends, I'd be no, 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 I'd never sell. This is this is my lifeblood. This is the this is my DNA in, in business. You know, why would I sell? Why would I give up on, on what's you know I've worked so hard for? So I basically lied for about 14 years. <laughs> so is there a particular stage do you do you think within a, a business journey or maybe within your own business journey that is 
the time is right to to then sell the business is there any particular you know points or maybe signs that you may have which would indicate that now would be the right time to sell drinking too much exercising too little and crying a lot <laughs> crying a lot uh, <laughs> i mean in all seriousness the time you first think about selling is when you are really struggling you know and we've all we all go through it and this last 12 months is, is a time where so many businesses have gone to the wall but also a lot of businesses more than have failed have really learned and, and reformed, re-strategized, got rid of dead wood, and I've come out the other side super fit. But, you know, I went through a downturn. I nearly lost the company twice. And the second time, uh, I just started going around seeing people I knew in the industry who ran big businesses saying, I will give you my company as long as you keep the staff on. I don't want any money. I just had enough. I've, I'm, I'm on my knees. We're about to run out of cash. And I'm desperate to get out because it's being a founder, there's such a weight on your shoulders. You know, in my book, I talk about it's lonely at the top and it is so lonely. You're on your own. I couldn't tell my wife. I couldn't tell my friends. I couldn't tell the people I work with. So founders often find the time they think about selling is when they're in trouble. But but the best time to build a successful business up is when you're at the bottom of the of that trough because that's when you get clarity. That's when you can see, if I can get over this hurdle, I can make it even better. Obviously, it's important to know when the right time is to sell the business. But I guess as well, it's important to know why you're doing it as well and what you want life to be like afterwards. Yes, uh, two excellent points. So I guess to wrap up the, the last question with a, with a positive is the best time to sell is when you're really you've had a good year or two to one or two years good growth and you're feeling strong because if you sell when you've had four or five years of good growth you're probably at the top and you're about to slide down the other side so if you do any sale that requires an earn out or money held against targets um, the risk is if you sell at the peak you'll then lose that additional value because you won't hit your targets so that's the first point sell when you've had a good couple of years of growth but don't wait too long if that's the thing why why sell is the most important question in the world that none of us ever ask ourselves why are we selling and and it's it's you know it's it's the the most i think simon sinek's book start with why is like the most important question why am i doing this because you sell and i spoke to a guy last week he got uh, five or six million pounds for his business he's joking the public's mates oh we're skinned get a million pounds what would you invest in he said i got six million I invested it and I realized it wasn't enough for me to retire and I'd got rid of the thing I loved. I didn't know what to do with myself. So he's gone back to work. Oh my goodness. I mean, even though you have sold your business and retired, you've kind of almost got to a point now where you're working again, aren't you? Uh, all I can tell you is it's very expensive flying planes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is one of your hobbies, isn't it? One of your <laughs> one of your retirement hobbies is to learn to fly a plane, but obviously then you've got to be able to pay for the pay thing. For the fuel. So yes, uh, when I was when I was young, I nearly joined the, the I tried to join BA and then I tried to join the Air Force and I ended up doing design instead. And I'd always promised myself I'd get back into flying. So I learned to fly uh, during my my first eighteen months of of not working. You know, one of the things about writing the book and about talking, having time to, to think about what I did is I realized how much I could have done with my help when I was growing my business. And I, I either met people who were unwilling to help or who didn't know what they were doing, but were willing to charge lots of money. 
very unscrupulous consultants out there. So I just thought, you know, I can sit around on my bum and fly planes, but, you know, I don't play golf. My mates, none of my, not many of my friends are into flying and most of them work. So actually the best thing for me to do is give back a bit. So I have spent um, the last uh, nearly two years doing free mentoring and just helping any business owner who wanted to help, especially through downturn. And then over time, I've turned that into a paid relationship partly because it pays my jet fuel, but partly because if there's no pay, there's no commitment. And if I don't get people to pay for my time, then they won't do what I ask. And if they don't do what they ask, they're not gonna improve their business. So it's a, it's a kind of contract between us. So I try and do about five days a month at the moment. I don't use work for, uh, I, I mentor for uh, the Princess Trust uh, businesses there. And I also work with Missing People, a, a charity based near me. So kind of, you know, I keep busy. So you are you busier retired? No, 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 no. Oh my god, I worked, I worked so many hours, and I travelled the world. I, I mean, the last two years of my career after I sold to an Argentinian business, I was in Latin America a lot, West Coast US. I had a own office in New York, and I was running Europe, and I was based in Madrid. So I was in Madrid at least once a week, and then South America and West Coast US and East Coast. So. No. So if somebody is um, looking at the business and maybe thinking about uh, selling it, what sort of things would a business owner need to do to prepare it for sale, to get it ready? There's a three-year plan, but it doesn't matter how far down that, that timeline you are to start the process. It just means you've got to get more done in, in a shorter period of time. So if you've got a business and you're you're thinking about selling and the, your business is doing okay, you know, you've bounced out of the downturn and you're, and you're feeling positive, then there are some very basic things to get in place. Firstly, find a, some, a mentor, someone who's been through it, who can give you some objective support. It's really important that you're able to just bounce ideas, release some of the pressure and, and work out whether you should sell or you should grow. The next thing is get your house in order. You know, how, you know, if your business is run on spreadsheets and paper files and, you know, there's stuff everywhere. I mean, I reckon during due diligence, I must have spent three weeks digging through hard drives, USB sticks, old laptops, filing cabinets, backup drives. I mean, geez, I've lit I literally had my documents in every single possible location on the planet and in the Ethernet. So getting your house in order is key because that's the people buying you want to know how how good you are, uh, how how um, you know are you making the numbers up or are they true, and then what's your contingency plan? Like how do you have someone running the business for you so when you sell you can step away? I guess at this point now um, in the world we're in now, not necessarily COVID, but I mean over the last five years with social media becoming a much bigger thing, having your social media channels in order too is quite important, right? Yeah, I mean your presence, is, that's a brilliant point actually. Your, your whole proposition and presence is absolutely critical. And, and you, you know, having a longer term plan rather than just going, I'm selling today, if you have a longer term plan, you can plan the, you know, how you communicate your business to prospective buyers. What are they looking for and how do you talk about yourself? Because if you're smart, you, you basically tweak and tune your whole proposition and social media content to give the message you want to give. Mm. If you're looking to buy a business, I mean, I'm just, let's just say I'm looking to buy a business and I hear about a business that's for sale. I guess that for me, the first place I would go was go and check them out on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and see what they're doing. 100%. It's absolutely that. So your your public, the perception you have in, in the public sphere, you know, is critical. 
And it's hard because you get busy. You know, people tend to be busy doing the job and not thinking about building content, continuing, continually keeping that content updated and refreshed and saying the right thing. So, yeah, getting someone to help uh, with your content, creating the right profile. You know, I mean, it, it makes sense between a sale and not selling, between selling for five times your profit and 10 times your profit. And it means the difference between selling to the right business, finding the right person to take your company. Yeah, I guess if you've built it up and you're passionate about it and it's your baby, you don't really just sort of hand it over to anyone, do you? You've got to be the right person. Well, it depends on the multiple, so- really, but yeah. I mean, you know, would you sell your child? No. Would you sell your child for £100 million? Oh, yeah, here. I've got two, actually. <laughs> yeah, have my child. Take them now. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you mentioned about having an advisor to help you sort of work out this planning process and get every duck in the right place so you can sell your business. Um, I mean, what happens? I mean, is it is it like sort of going to an estate agent saying, can you sell my house for me? Um, is it the same with a business? You go to someone and say, right, I want to sell my uh, business. Can you find someone to sell it to who would like to buy it? Is that, is that the way it works? So quite often what happens is someone approaches you first and says, I want to buy your business. Or, you'll, you know, if you've got a good, good social media profile and you're getting lots of good content out there and you're winning awards and things, people will be knocking on your door the whole time. So you kind of ignore them until someone serious comes along. But it, it really depends on the sector you're in, uh, what type of business you run, how big it is. Uh, you know, different people are looking for different things. So it might be you do just go to a, a broker and say, help me sell my business. You know, I want to retire. I'm, I'm done here. Uh, and that they'll, they will have people in mind who they will approach about, the, you know, the, potentially buying your business. Other situations are where, um, like we took the view of, I wasn't sure I wanted to sell. I had an approach from an American firm, but I thought, we well, let's see what we were. So I got my broker to do a, a soft sell. So they basically ran around the market and talked to key buyers and said, we have a really interesting business in this sector. What are your thoughts? And they came back with about 70 businesses that were interested in buying us. Wow. Um, which blew me away, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought we might talk to four or five different companies who I knew. And he came back with a list of a whole lot I'd never even heard of before. Wow. So how do you actually know how much your business is worth? How, how do you work that out? So first of all, remove all the emotional baggage that you bring with your business. No one cares about your missed birthdays, um, your, uh, you know, the nights, the weekends, the holidays. You know, I flew back, I flew back from so many holidays to pitch for things. It's ridiculous. So you, you know you've got to be very you've got to be very objective, and, and as founders we tend to be quite subjective, and we often overvalue. So there's some in the industry you're in, there will be a simple calculation of what your business is worth. If you have a, a business that sells products, and you have intellectual property, uh, and you have a long order list or order book, then you know there will times X. You know it will be like I don't know, let's say five times your turnover because you've got real tangible things, stock, long long order lists, and you own IP, which is worth money. If you're in an agency world like I was, basically, we had three months worth of work that we could see at any one time, pretty much, maybe six months. Uh, I had 60 or 70 staff, uh, nothing unique at all, just very good people. But we got, I don't know, close to 10 times our profit because we were in a sector that was very hot. People wanted to buy businesses like ours because they were expanding fast. So, you know, my broker told me what the, the, the calculation, you look between seven and 10 times your EBITDA, your profit before tax. And, and that's what we got. 
So, you know, it's, it's once you get into it, the, the answer is relatively obvious, but it's always important just to temper your expectations. It's probably not worth what you think it is. When you do sell your business, uh, I'm just thinking about the emotional, maybe the emotional uh, roller coaster. It may be by effectively letting go of your baby, you know, something that you founded and created and invested so much uh, time, um, you know, time investment and or money as well. So when you actually come to sell your business, can you still uh, be part of the running and the operations of it legally or are you not allowed to? Gosh, you, you do. I mean, I could talk about this for like a week and cry whilst I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually welling up. Please don't do that. Um, we, didn't, we didn't come with tissues. Oh, no. Sorry. Oh, don't worry, I've got some here. I always carry a bag. Um, so really, it, the, the emotional side is the biggest burden that you, that you encounter. So you, you move from, from being responsible for everyone's you know, life, livelihoods, really their pay, their so their, their, their mortgages, their savings, their kids' school fees, their lives. You know, we, you know I had like I know, 70 people plus in my business. Um, so you, you are so used to being the, the buck stops here person. And then you sell and you slowly watch your responsibility diminishing. And you slowly watch your business change in a way that you'd never perceived. Oh, okay. So it's it's a it's a gradual process. Then it's not like a, you know you just hand the keys over to someone else and and, and disappear. It it can take a little while for that transition to happen. Well, there's all there's usually a transition period where there are warranties in place and things that you you've got to either stick around or or you don't get all your money until all the you know they've had a, a quarter of results back and they can check that uh, you know you you haven't been sort of shifting money and hiding things. But very often people will go into sales where there's an earnout period where you're tied in for one year, two year, three years, where you, you continue to work and operate in the business and hit targets and then you are paid out on, on the success of those targets. And earnouts are literally the worst thing in the world, totally stacked in favor of the acquirer and totally stacked against the, the seller because the acquirer is taking no risk. You know, I'm gonna hold back two million pounds for you to hit your targets. Well, if you don't hit them, I save the money I have to pay you. Um, and if you do hit them, you're going to make more money for me than I'm paying you. So it's a win-win. So you get, it's very emotional. And, and you know, I wasn't, I wasn't conscious how hard it would be. Uh, and then I couldn't leave. I didn't know what to do myself. It was, I had to get a coach um, who was amazing and the best thing I've ever done. Uh, and she helped me really sort out my priorities, work out whether I should stay or, or go and, and help me sort of make that emotional break from uh, from being an ex-founder and now an employee yes I was actually going to ask you that actually that uh, I actually feel emotional you talking about it you know as a founder myself it's that identity I guess isn't it it's the identity that you have day in day out and when you when you you put so much into it it's 24 7 and then to have absolutely nothing um, I guess you've almost got to, in some ways, reinvent yourself and as you do you know have a hobby would you really strongly advise that people do that to fill that void gosh you know i mean so only people who are founders would would understand what we're talking about at this point the the weight of emotion and effort you know the 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 risk you put your family through financially for you to to eke out of you know a few more quid in growing your business you know most people don't don't go through that they go through their own challenges and and, and worries but you know when you own something you built something up you built it to something that's quite big uh, letting it go is is very very hard. So if you don't have a reason for selling, and if the money is the only reason, then you're likely to find yourself quite 
disenfranchised with the process full stop. If you're doing it for a good reason, be that to build a new business, uh, retrain as a yoga instructor, or take time out like I did, you know, hang out with the family, learn to fly, do some stuff, um, and, and not plan to go back to full-time work, then you're, you're going to be much happier. It's not easy, but it's you definitely need something. And I think a hobby is probably underplaying it. You need a new life focus. Like lots of people get divorced when they sell their companies. Do you know why? I've been in the office 17 hours a day for the last 10 years. I'm never at home. And then suddenly I'm at home all the time. But yes, you need a focus, like a big focus, like a whole life thing. Um, otherwise, you'll just end up going back to work. And then why did you bother selling in the first place? Yeah. And I guess you've, uh, from the sound of it, it sounds like that's a situation you've come across quite a few times already. Oh, I, it blows me away. I mean, I cannot tell you, you know, when you interview people and they're just desperate to get back to work, uh, desperate to set up a new business um, or, you know, have gone through some horrible uh, times at home and split up with their, with their partners and, you know, left because they just didn't, they just didn't know what to do with themselves. And they, they're kind of almost... Um, they bring that that stress and control from work into the home. Yeah. So, but you know, flip it. There are lots of people who sell and are very very happy. There are lots of people who sell who want to go back and set up a new business. That's the whole point. Is is this is worth ten mil? I'm going to flog it. And then in three months' time, I'm going to go and do it all again. But I'm going to sell the next one for 20 mil. Oh, I'm sure there are lots of different reasons why people would want to sell a business. Um, but from the conversation that we've had so far, it seems like it's very important to really understand what that reason is before you kind of yes. hit the go button, isn't it? 100%. If you don't know why you're doing it, don't do it. Honest, That's my honest advice. It doesn't take long to work out what you should be doing with your life, um, but you do need to take that time just to plan what happens next. So emotional um, things aside, and obviously we know it's an emotional thing because you have, your business is your baby. Uh, let's go back to the mechanics of selling. You've got to make some sort of a checklist of what's included in the sale, haven't you? I mean, what, what are there things that people often miss? Um, gosh, well, yes. I guess that when you sell, there are a whole bunch of things you go through uh, around due diligence, which is pretty much... Uh, as I, I was talking to a lawyer this morning, an M&A lawyer, and she said, it's just a balance between risk and reward. You know, that's all due diligence is. The, the acquirer, how much risk are they willing to take and, and how much they're willing to reward you for that risk? So when you sell a business, the idea is, you know, you typically sell everything you have and they buy everything, your brand, your people, your clients, your, you know, everything other than uh, excess working capital, which was a new thing for me, you know. So I spent so much of the time of my business having no money that they, you know, you actually have excess working capital, so more money in the bank than you need to continue the business um, running day to day, and then you get that back as part of the of the payback outside of the deal. But otherwise, you're do, you're doing everything, and some some business owners own their their offices and they lease them back or rent them back. So you probably wouldn't sell the building. You just continued leasing the the office to the. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, you might just want to sell the business, but not necessarily sell the bricks and mortar. Yeah, so very often, I mean, if you've got a manufacturing business that is in a location, you know, and it's all integral into that plant, you know, you don't have to sell the building. You can just sell the business and release the building uh, to the bit, to, you know, to the to the acquired company, um, uh, because. You know, it's about, it is what, what are you selling? It's a great question. What are you selling? I'm selling my company. What is my company? Well, actually, my company is the thing I do day in, day out. 
the offices or the the, the, the factory is a completely separate um, business, you know, that's in my pension. So why would I want to sell that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So imagine somebody has, uh, so you're in a situation where you've uh, worked out the price of your business, you've sold your business, you have a buyer. Uh, is How long would that process take? Is there a certain amount of time you would expect or so, does it vary? Yeah, it, it, like all these things, everything varies, but you're absolutely right to ask the question. Um, don't sell too fast because you might miss an opportunity to um, get the correct value for your company. So, you know, getting advice is really important and having someone help you through a broker, a lawyer, you know, a, a mentor or a non-exec or whatever. Um, but equally, time kills deals. So most acquirers will be looking at multiple purchases at the same time and you're one of a number they're looking to buy. So if it takes too long, they could well just get bored and just walk away. Um, so the, the, the further down the deal structure you are, the more likely they are to buy you. But early on, if you drag your feet, it, you know you, you could kill a deal. And if you're greedy and you want more than they're willing to offer, and their offer is fair, then that kills deals too. So uh, you know we probably it probably took three or four months from three months from the initial contact to selling the company, which is pretty quick. Uh, that seems like a lot shorter time than I had in my head. Yeah, six months would be normal, maybe 12. But companies do, I've sat in on deals where they've been done in four weeks. Wow. Oh, wow. You know, it's the due, the due diligence is what takes time. If you've got your back office in order, you've got your, you know, all of your contracts, your financials, your insurance, um, everything in, in a, you know, one place, usually these days digitally, uh, and it's all up to date, it's all current, and it's all accessible, you can move your whole process on a lot faster. But during due, due diligence, you know, the, the acquirer might want to go back three or five years in your in your files. Um, find me many, you know, business owners who have five years worth of information to their fingertips. Uh, I'm sure Claire does because she keeps everything and writes everything down and she highlights everything and she's got an Excel spreadsheet for everything. <laughs> I just <laughs> knew you were going to say that. <laughs> if I, I was... asked Claire for her accounts from three years ago, she'd have them behind her right now. Uh, yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> there we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect partner. You know, I mean, entrepreneurs are entrepreneurial because they generally take risks, cut corners and don't bother oh, with the yes. detail. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I was looking at legal contracts for client project, client work that we just, I hadn't bothered signing or I hadn't had counter signed because I'm like, who's going to sue us? You know, we're too small. But when a big business buys you, they can't afford the risk. So suddenly you've then got to go through, you know, all sort of legwork to find things. So, you know, it, it, if you could sell in three months, that's, that's not a bad thing. Six months, not a bad thing. Depending on how complex your business is and how unique you are, and that, you know, it might be just two suitors, it may take longer. Um, so, you know, it's don't stress, but don't let it drag out. Good advice. So, before Claire hits you with the really important questions, Chris, um, I, let's have a little bit of a recap of maybe the three really important things people need to consider apart from a box of tissues when uh, they're thinking about selling uh, their business. So what are the your, your top three things that people should think about? So number one is start with why. Why am I selling? What will I do if I sell? Yeah, what's what's my future? Um, you know, give me a reason to get out of here and do something different because for a lot of people, they could well just stay. Number two is start planning as soon as possible. Even if you're in a really bad situation today, it's worth putting down the groundwork, getting your house in order, use the downturn to restructure and refocus and come out doing you know, a much better job and you've started the plan to sell. 
So your, your, your business will naturally be in a much better position to perform more profitably anyway. And then the last part is, you know, don't do it alone. You know, as founders, we spend too much time thinking we, we're the only people who know what we do and how we do it. And we're responsible for all decisions. Get some support early on. Change that support structure as your business grows. You know, the perceived wisdom that got us here isn't going to get us out of here. So keep upgrading your advisors, your non-execs, a mentor, but but keep, you know, a circle of people with you who you can talk to and offload and share with. Absolutely. That is so crucial, especially I feel in the last 12 months as well. Surround yourself with people that are going to help you push forward. Um, brilliant. Thank you very much. Oh, sorry. One more one more point is just read my book. Because it's all in there. Oh, there I you go. To plug it. <laughs> Damn. Oh, see, look, he's slipped. He slipped that in right there. It was almost. It was almost unnoticed. But then you, you kind of. Very I think, subtle. I think you might Very have just subtle. dropped something there, Chris. <laughs> Smooth, like it. <laughs> okay, at the end of um, each interview, we like to ask uh, just a few questions that are completely unrelated to business at all, just so we can find out a little bit more about you. Uh, the questions are inspired by Inside the Actors Studio. Um, and I'm going to go into your first question now, which is what is your favourite smell, Chris? Fresh cut grass. It's a popular one, but there's a reason why it's popular. I like well, I was going to say aviation fuel, but that sounded far too pretentious. <laughs> no, no, go with it. Yeah, go with aviation fuel. Okay, aviation fuel. It wouldn't be the weirdest answer we've had. I still think burning hair is the most uh, bizarre answer oh. we've had. <laughs> this is quite a contentious question, uh, but perhaps one of our favourites. Uh, what is your favourite biscuit? Well, I do like a Dorset knob. <laughs> what? Excuse me? Did you did you understand the question? Well, it's kind of a... It's a savoury biscuit. OK, good. I'm glad you cleared that up. Very popular in Dartmouth. But I'm going to have to go with Gary Baldy from my school days. I can't believe how popular Gary Baldy's are becoming this year. Very humble. You see, COVID has taught us one thing, which is to, to really celebrate the simple things in life, like Gary Baldy's. Gary Baldy's. <laughs> fly biscuits, aren't they? Yeah. Dead, yeah, biscuits. my mum always used to call them dead fly biscuits. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, still laughing at what you just answered. Um, <laughs> so um, if you could have a dinner date with anybody at all, whether they be dead or alive, but actually alive whilst you're having the dinner date, um, who would it be? Gosh, that is a tough question. Who would I have a dinner date with? I would quite like to have a date with the Queen. Oh, I think she might have her hands full right now, though. She is busy. She's busy. But you know what? There's so much that goes on in there that no one knows about. It would be fascinating to sit down and quiz her for an evening <sighs> and just see what life is really like inside the palace. I wonder how honest she'd be. But brutally, I imagine. You might have to give her a few jeans first, perhaps. Well, she probably not. Well, it's, it's no, no one ever asks her, I imagine. So she probably would just offload everything and tell you all about life inside the palace and why she, you know, she wishes she'd owned a business, sold it, and would be able to branch out on her own. That was a really interesting episode. I mean, I knew it was going to be interesting, but we could have gone for twice as long asking you questions all about this because it really is a fascinating subject. And for someone like me who's completely green on this topic, very, um, you know, there are lots and lots of questions to ask. So. I'm guessing, I mean, this is the time to drop the details about your book uh, and tell us about how people can get in touch with you if they want to uh, pick your brains a little bit further. Yep, so book's called Build, Sell, Retire, and it's available from all popular, at the moment, online bookshops, but will be in uh, in the physical bookshops in the future. So Amazon, uh, Waterstones, WH Smiths, in a slightly Alan Partridge way. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and I, I'm available uh, online. LinkedIn is the easiest thing. Jump on LinkedIn uh, or my author page on Amazon and uh, get in touch. And I'm happy to, to give advice and help and you know offer 
my wisdom and knowledge to anyone who wants to, to ask it. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. I noticed when Chris was talking about his favourite biscuit, Claire, it went very, very quiet at your end. Were you trying to um, stifle a laugh as he was talking about his Dorset knob? Man, my my head nearly popped off. I was holding it in so much and it was one of those situations where I couldn't let it go out. I couldn't couldn't go because there would be no return. The point of no return. Not the answer I was expecting. I mean, obviously, when we ask that question, we think, oh, you're going to go custard cream or bourbon or digestive. Dorset knob, though, that was a bit of a bolt out of the blue. Oh, that's so funny. Hilarious! It just caught me, caught me off guard. Well, <laughs> yeah, me to too. <laughs> that aside, wow, that was some interesting stuff he dropped there, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I have no knowledge of what you would need to do to sell a business, uh, but for me, really, what stood out was the reason why you would do it in the first place, and the emotional reasons why you would make that decision, and indeed what you would plan to do after you've sold your business. Is that completely clear? Um, and for me, that was, you know, it's absolutely vital to know the answers to those. Yeah, I had a client last year who um, has sold her business after being um, part of it and building it from absolutely nothing for like 12 years. And it is just like letting a child go. She was emotionally attached to that business and found it really hard to walk away. Yeah, and I get that. I do, because it's formed such a, a huge part of your life. Um that all of a sudden, when it's not there anymore, it's it's got to be really, really emotional. You've got someone coming in your door. Oh, it's a dog. <laughs> it's all right. It's a dog. Sorry. So thank you very much to Chris for some really inspiring information. Uh, and don't forget, if you want to find out more about him, find out more about his book, go and have a look at our page on our website, biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk. Uh, click on the show notes and you'll find all the details about his book and how you can get in touch with him if you want to quiz him a little bit more about selling your own business. And while we're on the subject, let's big up a business right now. We do this at the end of every episode. If you've got a business and you're connected with us, maybe you're listening to the podcast or you've uh, connected with us on social media, uh, then we'd like to give you a little bit of uh, free publicity. So who are we talking about today? So I'd like to give a shout out to Anne-Marie Slater from La Vista Designed Interiors. So they offer bespoke interior design, renovation services, um, and at the moment, I understand Emery is working on some lampshades, bespoke lampshades, which, um, as you'll see from the website, are absolutely stunning. I love, on her homepage, she's got this coffee table and it looks like it's been made out of an old snow sled or something. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually, but it looks great. Well, some great stuff. I wonder if she made that. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so it's a really interesting website. Go and check out what she does or pick her up on social media. I guess you can search for La Vista Design and pick her up that way. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for Chris for joining us this week. Don't forget you can check out and get in touch with him via our website, biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk. And you can get in touch with us. We're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook. Uh, and go and check out our Big Little Business Club as well, where all our previous experts and guests live. So maybe if you've listened to one of our older episodes recently and want to get in touch with one of our previous guests, then search for Big Little Business Club on Facebook and that's where you'll find them. Uh, So till next week, we're all done. Say goodbye, Claire. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. The Big Little Business Show is a PM2 Media and Excel Networking production.